Welcome into Brewcast for Maze of Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. And finally, we're recapping a game here today. Takeaways from the Michigan-Minnesota game. I'm Luke Yardy, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani here with you on Monday evening, the 26th, headed into Tuesday, also streaming live on Twitch as we do each and every week here on Brewcast. And uh, we're feeling good uh, here to begin this show and this is going to be a fun show we talked about it in the group chat between me anthony and chris here today uh, we're as excited as we've been probably since 2018 as anthony said on the revenge tour doing these shows it's it's really that good uh, honestly obviously it's amplified uh, by the way michigan played saturday but just being able to do takeaways from a game uh just big blessing right now and so without further ado guys how are we doing here boys uh <laughs> for whatever reason maybe it's because i watched the movie a couple times this weekend the only reaction i can come up with to that question right now is very nice <laughs> much success great success uh awesome uh, about as good of an open an opening weekend as things could have gone. Um, a lot of cosmically terrible things happened to a lot of teams with somewhat of expectations in the Big Ten uh, this weekend, and Michigan was not one of those teams. So we have our fingers crossed there. Uh, you know, people on this feed, on our podcast feed, uh, we're on Twitch right now. Shout out to you guys. Welcome. You've heard me talk about this game for two days now, so you know a lot of the ways I feel from the in-game stuff that happened, but I haven't really had a chance to talk about, you know, some of the the fan reactions and, you know, really talking to other people about the game. So excited to be here, uh, fascinated to see where this goes moving forward, and uh, it's nice to be back on the first victory Monday of it took, you know, about six to eight weeks later than we're usually used to it, but uh, we're back, we're here, and uh, hopefully this feeling keeps going on. You know, I was I was watching Saturday's games unfold, you know, and the first weekend and what, 200-something days in which we've had a full slate of Big Ten football games, and, you know, I was watching it, and I was like, man, you know what? This feels like a sense of normalcy for a little bit. And I was like, and then I, I was immediately reminded, well, nothing is as normal as Michigan football finding a way to upset me in a big road game. And they, they did for the first part of the first quarter, everything we wanted them not to do. We talked about it last week, penalties early on shooting themselves in the foot, a special teams mistake. It was seven, nothing five minutes into the game. After that, I would say the final 56 minutes of that football game were perhaps the best that we've seen of the Harbaugh era, at least offensively and at the very least against a ranked team on the road. I thought that was a, a tremendous, tremendous performance. And we're going to talk about, you know, what made it so great here throughout the show. But, um, you know, I said this in the post game video I made uh, after the game on Saturday, we spend, and it's not just us, a whole lot of people, the national media, spends a lot of time talking about what Michigan football is unable to do. And 99% of that criticism 
is fair. This is a program that has come up short. This is a program that has not beaten elite teams on the road. This is a program that has not won games in which they've been an underdog. But if we're going to do all that, and if we're going to criticize them for all the times in which they come up short, it also means that they deserve the highest of praise when they go above and beyond. I think we all collectively thought, two of us, I think, picked Minnesota, but I think we all collectively thought Michigan had a shot at winning this game on Saturday. No one, even the biggest Michigan slappies in the world, thought that this team, considering who they had coming back, considering the question marks on this football team, had the ability to go on the road against Minnesota and win by 25 in the opening game of the year. You know, talk about going above and beyond. Talk about an excellent performance, maybe the best. It has to be the best opening game performance of the Harbaugh era, considering the circumstances as close to flawless as it gets. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than the feeling we got here today. Uh, And as a reminder, if you're listening on the podcast, we are streaming live on Twitch as we do every show. Uh, Thank you to everyone that's watching us on Twitch here right now. Big game, Matty P hopping in the chat. Hail to the victors. And that's exactly kind of how we're feeling here today, man. It's, It's a victory Monday. And like Chris was just talking about, it doesn't get better to go on the road against a top 25 team like Michigan did, you know, opened internationally uh, on some of the offshore boards uh, as an underdog, you know, uh, when the, when the U S market opened, obviously they were favorites, but a short favorite uh, three points, they went in and shattered every expectation we had when you consider everything that was working against them coming into this game, a new quarterback in his first start replacing four offensive linemen, his best target, you know, I know Ronnie Bell led last year in receptions and yards, but Nico Collins, far and away, the most talented receiver. And all of a sudden, Michigan's offense is looking maybe the best that we've ever seen it. And so uh, I go to you guys, Anthony and Chris. Uh, first things first, let's talk about Joe Milton, because what Please. he did was <laughs> nothing, nothing short of spectacular, man. And I know it doesn't really show up in the box score, 225 yards, had some good runs. It's not that, you know, it's not like the Joe Burrow numbers that we saw a year ago that I was so impressed with. And I know I saw a lot of people point this out on Twitter watching the game, but it was his moxie, his cool, and just how he ran the offense. And I am feeling – much more optimistic than I thought I would probably at any point this season coming in. What about you guys? Yeah. I mean, that's far and away. That's what I think everyone was the most looking forward to seeing was how he wound up performing in this game. And, and early on, on that first drive, uh, they take the Ben Mason penalty, which Jim Harbaugh didn't hate. Apparently Uh, he said that during his Monday press conference, Kirk Herbstreet said during the broadcast that he thought that might be one that they would be okay with. And ultimately uh, Herbie was right there. Uh, You know, Joe Milton on that first drive bails out of a clean pocket. It was kind of, you know, they were off schedule right off the bat and the punt gets blocked. So of course, kind of like Chris said, those, that first four minutes of the game, you're going, here we go again. And what I was most, you know, we saw, we've seen bigger stat lines at quarterback. We've seen, you know, a number of quote unquote, more impressive statistical performances. But when you look at a guy, I mean, I thought the game plan was terrific in terms of leaning on your run game, letting Joe Milton just get comfortable, get a feel for the offense. Didn't nobody was really locked onto as a wide receiver. Nine different guys caught a ball, uh, you know, through 15 completions. That's, 
you know, outstanding uh, balance as an offense. You got a couple of true freshmen in there. I think three of them offensively uh, four, if you count Zach center getting in there a little bit on the offensive line, uh, Joe Milton is as advertised and you saw the arm strength on display. I think a couple of his most impressive plays of the night were the ones that weren't made the incomplete pass towards the end of the first half. Uh, the, the touchdown pass that Eric all dropped and then they went right back to him on the next play. I mean, that's, those are the types of things that they've been talking about seeing in practice. And a lot of times we've, we've always heard preseason hype go back to when Shea Patterson was getting his feet wet at Michigan. Oh, we're seeing him do Shea things in practice. And, you know, I think that the most satisfying thing about Saturday night's game was that pretty much everyone who had, who had had that preseason hype, like a Joe Milton, like the freshman wide receivers, like the offensive line, like Donovan Jeter, Taylor Upshaw, Julius Welshoff, uh, you know, the corners, Vincent Gray and Jamon Green both played really well. Everyone that had had that hype in the preseason delivered on that hype. And, and that's something that, I mean, there's always, there's always the, you know, the spring game standouts, there's always the training camp standouts, but every guy that we heard is someone that was going to be a player and make plays for this team Joe Milton included made plays for this team on Saturday night. And I think that's the most, uh, you know, for, for a fan base that is tired of, you know, you see the people on Twitter all the time, you know, do more, say less. Well, they said, they said what they said, and then they backed it up on Saturday. So I don't know how you walk out of this game, anything but impressed. And um, we said, if they were to win this game and, and do it impressively, that might be the start of something here. And when you look down the schedule now, who knows where it goes, but about as good an opening week out of your quarterback and really out of your team as you could have expected given the circumstances. Absolutely. And before I, I, you know, kind of reciprocate, reciprocate a lot of the praise that you just you know, heaped on them. Um, I, I will say, you know, it's, it was not a performance that makes me say that Joe Milton is going to be, you know, in the Heisman race. Right. But it also wasn't performance that allowed for him to, you know, put up those kind of numbers. He did everything he was asked to do and then some. And if you're going down the list, if you're checking off all the boxes of what he needed, he checks off everything. Poise, great. You know, you get down early, didn't get rattled. More importantly, though, especially with a guy making his first start, especially with a guy with the kind of athleticism and talent that Joe Milton has, you often see these guys forcing throws. And I think it was a combination of him showing a lot of maturity right away. Didn't force anything. I mean, I can't think of a single throw he had into coverage really. And the ones that were, were, you know, away from receivers, nothing that was really on the verge of being picked off. And I think part of that too, is I thought Gaddis's play calling was almost flawless. I mean, really it from beginning to end, I can't think of a single play that made me really scratch my head. I thought they put all these guys in position to succeed. And I thought they executed flawlessly. I thought Milton was, was tremendous on Saturday. I thought the offensive play calling was damn near perfect. Um, it, they, he did everything he needed to do. And then some, um, a, a, a huge step in, in the right direction in terms of how people are viewing uh, this quarterback race. Cause we've seen in previous years, I mean, how many times after game one, have we come on here and talked about, you know, what's the quarterback situation going to look like? I mean, even going back to 2018, Shea was kind of shaky in game one last year, you know, even uh, middle Tennessee and especially after army, you know, uh, 
Shea struggled a little bit and people are already clamoring for DMAC. Uh, no, no, nothing like that on social media or nothing like that in, in the media in general. Uh, Joe Milton firmly established himself as the starting quarterback going forward. I thought he played a great, great game. So then obviously, you know, on the flip side of the ball, we got to talk about the defense a little bit. And I saw some people, you know, with some question marks uh, about the defense. But at the end of the day, when you consider what Michigan was going up against, right, the the way people talked about the game, you know, all the national talking heads and the quote-unquote experts coming into this game was going to be how is the Michigan defense going to stack up against Minnesota? You know, mm-hmm. I mean – you have what uh, some people I listened to Tom Fernelli on uh, part of my take on Friday night leading up to the game. He thinks Tanner Morgan could be a potential first late first round pick at the quarterback position. You have your all world receiver coming back on the flip side. Michigan loses a potential first round pick in Ambry Thomas, you know, coming in on the defensive side, uh, tons of question marks in that defensive backfield and they lose Dax Hill in this game. And at the end of the day, did they give up some plays? Yeah. Did they give up 24 points? Yeah. One being kind of gifted to them on the the block punt. You you go in and you dive in, man. Minnesota only averaged about four and a half a play, you know, and that's a tremendous job, to be honest with you, considering the talent that Minnesota has. And I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but I thought the defense uh, was spectacular, and they also uh, exceeded my expectations here in this game. Yeah, I'll stop short of spectacular only because the run defense was a little bit of a concern. Uh, you know, I, to a certain extent, you know, some of the fits were bad. Some of the reads were bad. I thought that, uh, but at the same time, uh, Mohamed Ibrahim at Minnesota, I thought played a very good game. Uh, the vision was good. The bounce was good. So when good players play well, hats off to them. I think the most impressive thing about the Michigan defense was you held – one of the most explosive and one of the most uh, you know, efficient passing attacks in the country last year, you were able to hold them to 197 yards through the air. And Rashad Bateman had nine catches for 101 yards. But if you take out the, the 38 yarder he had, uh, and really, I mean, the stats are what they are. You can't really take them out, but those were pretty low impact yards. I, outside of that big play, I can't, and there was the, uh, what was the kid's name? Whatever the wide receiver was from Minnesota, where 45 yards down the field uh, should have been offensive pass interference. Um, they called, they got Jamon Green for it. Um, looked like it was a push off, but other than that, no, no real big plays out of the defense outside of Ibrahim had a 25 yard rush. Uh, you know, Nick Saban said it. Well, I heard Nick, uh, Nick Saban quote over the weekend that great defenses aren't going to beat great offenses anymore. Great offenses are going to beat great and good defenses every time. And I think it's kind of where uh, coming into this year, I was expecting Michigan to give up some points on defense, but I I thought the offense might be better. And not only were they better, I mean, they were nearly flawless on Saturday night. So again, the stars were the stars. Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay were were terrific. I thought Carlo Kemp had some moments, Cameron Grown, Josh Ross, the two, you know, two of the most athletic linebackers in the country. Uh, it hurt to lose Dax Hill. It doesn't seem like what's going on there is going to be all that serious. Makari Page was kind of thrown into the fire there a little bit, but you know, defensively, I, I know there are concerns there, but for a first game where your offense puts up almost 50 points, I'm really not sitting here sweating about, you know, 
150 yards rushing and 24 points given up because you were clearly the better team on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, I, I would, uh, I would agree. I think it was, it was a strange off or defensive performance. Cause I thought early on, it seemed like they had kind of established some, some defensive dominance up front. I can't believe we haven't, we've gone this far into the recording without bringing it up. Michael Barrett, a phenomenal, phenomenal game of football on Saturday. I mean, uh, changed that game. You know, they, they pulled away, but really you could argue he won them that game in the first quarter and a half. I I think you can make the argument. He was the best player on either side of the ball for both teams that on Saturday. He was, he was huge. He was phenomenal. And then it seemed like there was kind of that middle part of the game. I think because Minnesota realized that the long, long drop, you know, five, six, seven step drops for Tanner Morgan, those plays weren't going to work. Michigan's athletes are too solid up front. Uh, and they started to run some shorter, shorter passing routes, uh, more draw plays. And Ibrahim's a great athlete, Rashawn Bateman, uh, a great athlete. And they were having some success there. And then I think near the end of the game, probably in the last quarter or so, uh, even after it was kind of out of reach, it seemed like the Michigan's athletes uh, started to flex their muscles a little bit. I mean, you had Quiddy Pay having, what, three sacks and four plays. Now, Hutchinson was great all the way through. It, it was it was a, a inconsistent at points, but still pretty close to a complete defensive performance. And look, it, in today's college football, because this is not, you know, this is not 1995 anymore. In today's college football, you give up 24 points. You, you should win most games. And they not only won that game, they won it emphatically. And I think it speaks to kind of the changing uh, in philosophy that I feel like that you just kind of alluded to Anthony that, but I also feel like Harbaugh has kind of moved forward with, and that is that uh, when you go up against teams with a, a ton of talent at skill positions, like Minnesota has um, the, the idea of winning games with defense, it's, it sounds odd, but it's kind of an archaic system at this point. You win by scoring a lot of points. You win by running the ball well. You win by moving the ball effectively and getting the ball to your skill position players. I thought because Michigan did that so effectively on Saturday, it took some of the pressure off the defense. And it allowed them, I think, as the game went along, to play with a little bit more confidence, which is something we've seen uh, we have not seen in the past. We've seen them in games where they get behind early on the road, and it seems like the defense early on looks pretty gassed was not the case on Saturday and I think they were they were better for it and for those of you that are uh, listening via the podcast here Tuesday or later we are uh, streaming the show live on Twitch on Mondays and I have to uh, uh, comment here on Twitch Crendy I believe it's pronounced he's talking about the speed on both sides of the ball and I agree with him 100 percent especially defensively right this might be the fastest defense we've seen since maybe 2016. And obviously I'm not going to compare this defense to that defense. When you look at the guys that were on that squad, you know, you don't have like the Mohurst or the Jabril Peppers and the seven defensive ends pass rushers. You could flip in back in 2016, but just from a speed standpoint, I mean, flying all over. And honestly, some of the stuff that Michigan did, obviously they have to contain that a little bit, right? The play action touchdown, the very first one for Minnesota, that was because the linebackers were flying to the football and you do get caught with some of those counters, you know, they're, they're watching the guards, they're looking at their keys and they get them wrong a little bit, but they're flying to the football at the end of the day. Uh, the speed out there for Michigan is going to be a problem for a lot of teams, uh, especially this Saturday uh, for a Michigan state offense that is going to have some seriously, seriously difficult times dealing with that Michigan 
Michigan speed on defense. And, you know, I, I found it funny. I don't know if you guys saw a lot of this, uh, but, uh, you know, just follow it along on Twitter. You see retweets or, or whatever, but th- there were like Minnesota people complaining that they didn't have a kicker or a punter or whatever. Like, and that's, that's fine. Don't get caught up in that. You know, to be fair, Michigan that, like, decided to like opt out of special teams as well. That's what I mean. So, they, right. had, they had three missed field goals and a block punt. Like yeah. it's not like Michigan had a great defense or I mean a special team performance either, you know? So it's like everything like you can nitpick things, I guess, if you wanted to, but don't get caught up in that. Michigan played kind of a flawed game. Yeah, well, not kind of on special teams. They played a very flawed game on special a teams. Bad game, and yeah. and and they still win by 25 and dominated, you know, pretty much every other aspect of that game. Like there is a, a ton of reason for optimism here. And we haven't even gotten into the fact that what Joe Milton had, what 15 completions to nine different guys. And they're, they're using a three headed monster in the backfield with Charbonnet <laughs> Askins and uh, Chris Evans, shout out to him, get his first touchdown. And, and the four first guys, play. four guys. Yeah. Blake Blake Horn Horn too. Too. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, this is the, the, the talents insane. Yeah. Yeah, I think my favorite play, too, is the one, uh, you know, the, the offensive line was just mashing all night long. And mm-hmm. my favorite play was uh, the little QB power thing they were doing with Milton, where they just run him off the right side of that offensive line. Uh, I think that's that might kind of be their bread and butter uh, when it comes to the QB run game. A little more so than what maybe the option was with Shea. So I think that's going to be fun to see um, how that develops. I think the biggest thing, and I've been harping on this for a couple of days now, The biggest thing to me, and I even wrote a story about it today, was that every time that Minnesota threw a jab at them, Michigan not only had a counter punch for it, but they had some sucker punches and some knockout punches late in the game. And that's, it hasn't been that way all the time. You didn't see, you know, hanging heads after a punt was blocked. You didn't see that, you know, Chris, we were watching the game together last year. Remember how bad the body language was at Wisconsin? Things yeah, after well. I mean, realistically, it's it's very rare this happens where you can point to an exact moment in which a team's soul is sucked out of their body, and that's yeah. that's exactly what we saw after the Ben Mason fumble last year in the first quarter. Yeah, yeah, and like like I said, uh, the poise to me stands out in a big way, and you know, a lot of people want to say, oh, you know, your team's going to take on the attitude of its coach. I think what Jim Harbaugh has done has, and you've seen it; they've talked about this he's empowered these guys to lead and there has been a, a really big push for a plate for player led leadership. When things go wrong, they're not looking for Jim Harbaugh or Josh Gaddis or Don Brown to draw up a play for them to get them back in the game. Those guys on Saturday night dug deep and they did it themselves. And at some point we've always talked about this at some point, it was going to take a Michigan group uh, for it to realize its potential. They were going to have to, it was going to have to come from within because I, talent to me, I know what they have down at Ohio state, but talent to me at Michigan, the last three or four years has not been an issue. I think it's, it's been that poise. It's been the, the deer in the headlights look, so to speak. And I saw, I saw a team full of killers on Saturday night. And really, honestly, if you really go back and watch that game, they didn't play as well as they could have on offense. And they certainly didn't play as well as they could have on defense. We talked about how, Special teams, uh, Minnesota having all those guys out kind of canceled it out. Yeah, Minnesota ran for whatever it was, 150 yards. Michigan ran for 250 yards. Uh, Tanner Morgan had almost 200 yards passing. 
Joe Milton had over 200 yards passing and, and was involved in the run game. So the things that went wrong position by position, you just go back and look at it. Michigan had the advantage at every single spot in this game. And uh, like I said, I, I think that maybe based on what I saw over the weekend, it does look like Minnesota's due for a little bit of a come down, but that doesn't make this win any less impressive to me. That is a program with talent in it. That is a program that is obviously very well coached. Minnesota was a doormat a couple of years ago. I mean, this is not Michigan beat them, whatever it was, 33, 17 in 2017 to flex first year. They pretty much did that to this team, but this team won 11 games last year. So I, I don't know to me, this is the most impressive complete team performance given the stage, given the circumstances that, that I've seen from a Jim Harbaugh team at Michigan. And here's a stat for you. This is the first time Michigan has opened the season with a road win since 1991 at Boston college. Wild. Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously circumstances kind of, you know, have affected that, but yeah, that's, that's insane. It's not like they haven't had chances. I mean, even going back a couple of years ago, going on the road against Notre Dame, one, actually two quick points I wanted to bring up. Uh, you know, they, they did that kind of uh, the QB run with Milton a lot. And I think this speaks to his poise. I give him a lot of credit. How many hits did Joe Milton take on Saturday? Very few. And that is the one concern you always have when you have a quarterback. I mean, we go back to, you know, Denard when he was here, when they were running it with him 20, 25 times a game, guys, guys gonna take big hits. And Joe Milton, a freak athlete, tall, strong, but you know, a lot of QBs aren't built for that kind of physical contact. I I thought he showed a lot of maturity getting out of bounds, going down at the right moments, you know, no, you know, no fumbles on his part. Great. The other point I wanted to bring up and yes, the special teams game, across the board, the one thing you could say disaster for Michigan on Saturday, the kicking game was, was awful. You had a blocked punt, but the probably the moment of the game, the moment in which I went from, I think I like our chances to, all right, they're going to win this game was a special teams play. The fake punt Hassan Haskins after scoring a touchdown, snuffing that play out uh, an incredibly athletic moment. And then I think he scored, you know, right after that as well. Uh, that was a huge, huge moment in the game. And I think that that was something that you w- went back and you watched Flex press conference, which was an Anthony, you posted something about it, kind of hilarious. Um, his reasoning for why they faked that punt made a lot of sense. Like the previous two punts were like 15 and 18 yards. He's like, we're not going to get a ton of net yardage here. We have a chance to swing momentum. And it could have. It could have. I mean, we've seen teams pull stuff out of that, pull rabbits out of their hat against uh, Michigan in the past, you know, for them to snuff out that play. Yes. Special teams being what it was on Saturday was brutal, but that moment, that was a signature moment in that game. And really in the Harbaugh era so far, really putting, you know, Minnesota's backs against the wall. And then they started to, you know, really put their foot on the gas and they never looked back. So, We've talked a whole lot uh, about this win against Minnesota, obviously, you know, and, and for good measure. Um, I don't know how much we want to get into the the Michigan State game here this week because I know we have podcasts a little bit later in the week. But, I mean, I, it is the, the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, and it is feeling like there could be a bloodbath coming in on Saturday. Like, I don't know what happened to Michigan State. I know they turned it over seven times against Rutgers, but they had – uh, what did they rush for less than two yards of carry? Yeah. I mean, what, what is that going to look like on Saturday? And also, are you guys worried at all that 
they're not going to come into this game uh, with the focus that they probably need. No, no, I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what I saw Saturday was when there was, you know, like I said, I saw, I saw sharks on the field. I saw killers on the field Saturday mm-hmm. when they smelled blood, they pulled away in that game uh, towards the end of the first half. And then obviously into the second half, um, Michigan state sucks. They're not ready. Um, they're not ready yeah. to be a good football team. They're not ready to play football this year. And part of that is because Mark D'Antonio left them with a dog shit roster. Uh, another part of that is that three, you know, they started practicing less than four weeks ago in pads. That's all that Mel Tecker's team has had. And I'm not making excuses for them. I think Michigan's going to steamroll them. They might double the 25 point spread, but um, God, that'd be great for me to, <laughs> it's hard for me to even feign enthusiasm for that game, other than knowing that it's going to be ugly because there's nothing there to be excited about. Like Michigan state, there's not, there is not a scenario in play where this is a close game on Saturday, unless Michigan turns the ball over seven times, which right. knock on wood, I don't see that happening. Um, and even that, what they turn it over in 2017, five times, and they only lost by four points. You know, I mean, it would take another like disastrous effort like that for uh, something like this to, for this game even really to be close. Um, it's not hard for me to feign enthusiasm. I disagree heavily with you. I was, I was, you know, I'm trying to be the straight man here. But. Here's the thing. Here's the, the, the point I, I make is that for shit felt like about 25 years, but really it was about a 10 year stretch. You know, I would even say dude, even last year's game and Michigan state was awful last season, but even last year's game with considering how Michigan had, played fairly inconsistently up to that point. I came into that game being like, man, they should win. They have better athletes. They have better players. I don't know. Shea throws a couple picks. Yeah. There's a few defensive breakdowns. I don't know. Obviously they ended up winning by 34 for about a 10 year stretch there, probably beginning in probably year two of the rich rod era and lasting, uh, you know, probably into 2018, 2019, there was an aura to the Michigan state football program a toughness, a grit, a leadership level at, at the top with D'Antonio that they had. That game was always a game we were uneasy about for a long time. That magic fairy dust that they had for so long, and it wasn't magic. I mean, they had some really talented teams, made the college football playoff, won you know, three Big Ten titles. That magic is, is done. And I think, you, you know, you could argue that it was it died the second DPJ caught that touchdown in 2018. I you know, to me last year officially killed it. I, I had the, the disprivilege of watching every second of the Michigan state game on Saturday. And you came away with two things. One, um, one is it will be a while Rutgers will get there under Greg Shiana. And I, I don't know what it is. I guess there's just one guy capable of giving that program any sort of juice, and it's him. But two, Michigan State, and yes, you know, you could point to many excuses. Every team had COVID stuff going on this year. Looked remarkably unprepared. And uh, it showed in their execution. Will they be better this Saturday? I mean, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to turn the ball over seven times in, in you know, back-to-back games, but overall, I, I mean, the, the talent discrepancy, but in this rivalry has widened every, it seemed like 2015 was when they were neck and neck seemingly in terms of talent every year since then, it's gotten wider and wider. Um, 
And I think this is probably the, the largest gap in terms of talent that we've seen probably since 2002 when Michigan won 49 to three. Like I, and we might have, and I, they, we should have, I mean, if they go out and execute even close to how they executed uh, last Saturday, we should have another result like that. I also want to ask you guys this because the kind of the theme here uh, of the takeaways that we have, right. Is that Michigan has a different attitude about them. And I'm not here to, to dump on the, the previous players that have played for this team. But do you think that that has something to do with the personality of the quarterback? Like everyone's kind of just looking at him and uh, I, I don't know. It, it just, it, it felt different. And I'm just wondering if that has more to do to with it than maybe we really think. I think it's part of it. Uh, it's a piece of the, a piece of the puzzle for sure. Um, you know, Joe Milton on Saturday was, you know, showed poise, was an even keel guy. And a lot of times, regardless of how people feel about Shea Patterson, he was that at times for Michigan. So it's not like you've never seen that before at the quarterback position. I think the biggest thing, um, the biggest thing with me is again, I think Aiden Hutchinson alluded to it on Monday. It's the player led leadership that, that we're seeing. Um, It is a, um, you know, it just seems like everyone's more comfortable. Everyone's, you know, they stayed ready. When things got shut down, they stayed ready, Mm -hmm. even through the off season. I mean, everyone stayed more prepared. I think the coaching staff is a little bit sharper because they weren't on the road recruiting. Um, So, like I said, you can use the pandemic as a reason or excuse for any any program in the conference. Uh, You know, more interesting to me than Michigan State is what we saw at Indiana over the weekend. Um, yeah. Indiana finally got get, gets an upset over a top 10 team, which they hadn't had since 87, I think it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't think they played particularly well. I think James Franklin gift-wrapped, you know, <laughs> gift-wrapped that game to them. Yeah. Um, but then you see, it's just really, there, there's some really interesting cosmic things going on in this conference right now because, and, and again, we're doing all of this with that dark cloud of, of COVID-19 hanging over the season. And it's already affected the big 10 Purdue is a Purdue went out and got a win on Saturday without uh, Jeff Brom on the sideline uh, due to COVID-19 Grant Mertz from Wisconsin. You want to talk about a, a universe there being some sort of hole ripped in the multiverse. How about Wisconsin really not being able to run the ball that great and going straight up air raid on everyone with Graham Mertz. Uh, looks like the best quarterback they've had since Russell Wilson. Then he comes down test positive for COVID on Sunday. I believe right before we recorded, it's a confirmed positive. He's out for three weeks now. So you look at this Michigan schedule, we're talking about how obviously, you know, you go to Indiana next weekend and that might be, um, that could very well wind up being a top 10 matchup. Indiana plays Rutgers this weekend. Indiana will beat Rutgers and I expect they'll do so fairly comfortably. Yeah. Um, so that game in Indiana has a little bit more juice to it. Uh, week four was supposed to be Wisconsin. Graham Mertz won't play in that game because he's out 21 days now. Jack Cohn is still hurt. And I believe the third quarterback that they have didn't practice on Monday. So I don't know what's going to happen with Wisconsin. Um, and then like Penn state again, uh, based on the two products I saw on Saturday, I think that Michigan, I think that Michigan will beat Penn state at home. Like all of a sudden you start looking at things and then it builds to what can this team build to once again, 
going into that last week of the season, is there a, is there, is there a game where they can stumble before then? And we don't know that yet. There's not enough, not enough of a sample size there, but um, something that is not cosmically altered by what's going on right now is Ohio state is still really good. Um, And I thought Nebraska played fairly well on Saturday in that game in Columbus and Ohio state still steamrolled them. So that's the bar. You know what they are. You know, they're going to keep being a factor. Um, I don't know. I, I guess we kind of talked about if, if Michigan got through Minnesota, there's a chance that that might be a snowball of momentum that carries them into potentially into the game undefeated, which is something that they haven't done since 2006. So um, um, I think that's what, that what, that's what makes this whole weekend, what just took place so much more exciting. Um, and again, it's a week to week thing, not going to get too high, not going to get too low, but um, okay. That, Joe Milton. <laughs> if the bar if this is where the bar has been set and this you know we know what they are now we know what they showed on saturday um if this is what you're building from this could be a special year that maybe people weren't expecting coming into it yeah i mean you you alluded to a lot of the points i was trying to make i mean i'll just come out and say it assuming they beat michigan state to a pulp which they will michigan will be favored in every game they're going to play until ohio state um, e- even if let's say they lose to Wisconsin before Penn state, I still think they'll probably be favored against Penn state and Indiana, you know, that was an incredible win for them on uh, Saturday. Um, they'll still be favored against them. You know, th- this was kind of that baseline game. I think everyone is kind of like at surface level. If they would have lost this game, I think collectively the fan base would have jumped under underwater. They won it by a whole lot and everyone's jumping for joy. And I get it completely what the X, the ultimate X factor of the season and God willing, this is the only time this is ever an X factor in college football or in any sport is what's going to happen with COVID you know, or what's going to happen to this team with COVID Michigan in fairness to not just their football program, but you look at the numbers in fairness to their whole athletic department has been incredibly responsible in their handling of COVID-19. The amount of positive tests has been minimal. They've done a great job. But all it takes is one. I, I mean, we saw on Friday, Graham Mertz lighted up for Wisconsin. And it's, you know, I'll just amend what I said. It's not so much how they handle COVID. It's that that three-week rule is a killer. I, I mean, depending on when that happens, that could be your season. And we just, you don't want to get super high on it because they, as great as they played and as good as I think they might play going forward, um, one positive case uh, this is not the SEC, right? Where you can get COVID and seemingly, you know, play in two hours. Uh, this is going to be one of those instances where, where maybe we're already seeing it with, with Wisconsin, but some team in the big 10 is going to have their year derailed because of this. And we just got to hope they keep staying responsible and keep their head on straight and, uh, you know, have a healthy team going into Ohio state. And just to answer a quick uh, Twitch question here from Luber 007, he said, are, are coaches able to use Zoom or something similar to coach a team if they have a positive test? I'm sure there is. Um, save, maybe not Zoom. It. Yeah, yeah, not Zoom, but, uh, you know, a, a way to, to pipe in at least, you know, to the headsets, things like that, watching the game. Uh, they've got, you know, this is big time money. They've, they've got some well, sort of thing. Uh, uh, to be fair, Jeff Brom tried to do this over the weekend and it was denied. So he did not coach. Maybe the big day. 10, but I know, I know Nick Saban was going I mean, to Nick, yeah. Nick Saban was going to be hands on, you know, 
I mean, Hugh Freeze coached from a hospital bed. What was that like last year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's the thing too. It's like, I'd imagine that surprised me though about Brom to be quite honest with you um, because you know, we have the technology, everyone's working from home these days, you know, for the most part. So I don't know. Yeah. And uh, Gray Blondie says Nick was not going to be able to coach if he wasn't allowed in the stadium. So that's kind of where the thing stood there. So I don't know. Uh, you guys have any final thoughts about where, really anything i mean we could probably talk much longer going into the minutia of the game but uh at this point by the time people hear this it's tuesday the page has somewhat been turned uh i think as we wrap up here we're talking about you know a pandemic altered season again don't want to get caught looking ahead um staying vigilant day in and day out they are in the building to to keep themselves ready and I think that week to week, we should just focus on probably having fun and see what happens. If we get to the way things are going in the country right now, if we get to the Ohio State game, it's going to be a win. So we can right. week out, enjoy the football games that we have. Uh, this first one was great. Uh, I almost wish, I don't wish this, but if the season were to end right now, that's a, that's a high I could carry with me into, 20, into 2021. Uh, we yeah. hope it doesn't happen like that, but right. um, this weekend was a lot of fun. And I think it shows the, you know, there is potential here. It, maybe this wasn't a rebuilding year after all. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. The, the expectations have changed as we've said a lot of times on this show, Chris, where can we find you on social media, man? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Castellani 2014. That's at C A S T E L L A N I two Oh one four back doing uh Post-game videos right now, uh, you'll find the link to my YouTube page as well in my Twitter bio. Subscribe to that. Like those videos. Comment on them. Uh, just post a review for the Borat sequel that came out on Amazon Prime last weekend. So follow me there. I'm a, My other show, Locked on Tigers, I do for the Locked on Podcast Network. You can follow that show on Twitter at Locked on Tigers, and you can find it as well wherever podcasts can be found. The World Series is going to be coming to an end here in a few days. Happy to be making uh, some podcasts talking about what's been a really good uh, series so far between the Dodgers and the Rays. So please follow me on all those platforms. It would be much appreciated. Anthony, where can we find you, man? You can find me on Twitter at Anthony T. Broom. Find the website at Maze and Brew on Twitter. Um, join our Discord. We have. I feel like we're we're all over the place now. The YouTube page is growing. We have a Discord now. We're streaming on Twitch. I feel like we're finally in the the 21st century. 20 years later. So um, you can find us in all those places. Get our podcast: Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, you know. The team was cooking on Saturday night. I feel like the content's been being cranked out of the Mason Brew kitchen, so to speak. So mm-hmm. uh, winning winning, and playing football uh, does a lot for the soul. So good to be back. Good to be doing these pods with you guys during a football season. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Gierdi, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Have a lot of fun on there, uh, especially during the games. And a big thanks to everyone who hopped in on Twitch here today, man. Uh, starting to grow a little bit, and it's a lot of fun getting you guys in the comment section. And 
you know, thank you, obviously, for the support. You guys got some great messages uh, of support for us, but also the the questions and the comments, man, uh, really helps us get through the show as well. Just a little extra avenue for uh, what we can talk about whatnot. So thank you. And we will be doing these every single Monday on Twitch. So if you're listening on the podcast, make sure uh, you join it on Twitch, too. You know, a little live feedback back and forth that we can have for the show. So uh, make sure you do that. Like Anthony said, download the podcast, uh, leave a review and you know rate the show that would be awesome as well make sure to subscribe uh, on that as well but that's going to do it for us here good to be back good to talk about a michigan victory and uh you know we'll be back next week for chris castellani and anthony broom i'm luke yardy we'll see you next week on brewcast